I wonder whether you've uh, considered how long has the church been in the mind of God? How long has the church, the body of Christ, been in God's plan? Often we think of the, the church and its beginnings and we go immediately to Acts where the Holy Spirit arrives at Pentecost. Jesus promised that the church would receive this Holy Spirit, that the disciples, that the followers of his would receive the Holy Spirit and the church would be born. Perhaps we go even a little bit further back than that that we touched on on Wednesday evening when we look at the upper room where Jesus is celebrating the Passover with the disciples before he goes out and we know what ensues after that as he goes to the cross. And in that moment, Jesus shows the heart of everything that he's been doing as he washes the disciples' feet and he dries them with the towel that's wrapped around his waist. He gives everything in service and in love to the disciples, picturing the church as we love and we serve those around about us. And Jesus there too was readying the disciples for the mission ahead. But... As we are going to look this morning at Ephesians and chapter 1, God had the church in mind way before all of those things. In Ephesians 1, Paul references and likens the church to a body, and that's something that we've looked together before as a church. Naturally, we know a body then has many parts, fingers and hands and arms and legs and a a head and, and a torso. And, and all of these things work in unison in order for us to function on a day-to-day -day basis. If I have it in mind to pick up the water, I don't really have to think about it. Naturally, I can react, grab hold of the water, and I can even take a sip. And I feel refreshed. Because that's what I decided that I wanted to do in the moment and my body works together in order to bring about the purpose and the goal that the head had thought of. It all sounds so simple, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And that's really what Paul is telling us here as he likens the church to a body, many parts that all function together in order for everything to work for the glory of God. In it, for everything to work then as it should. But as he does, he alludes to the church and the foundation, the history and the reality, if you like, of this beautiful thing that we know and we call the church. So let's have a read of Ephesians chapter 1, just six verses. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we just ask this morning as we look into your word that you would open up the scriptures, Father, that you'd use me to speak as you've called us to. Father, as we uh, are able this morning to just come around your word, that, Father, our hearts would be receptive, our minds would be open, and, Father, you would show us something more of your wonder and your beauty today. We ask these prayers in our Saviour's precious name. Amen. So this is a real eye-opening section of a, a beautiful letter that Paul pens to the church at Ephesus. And this letter, it, it, the whole purpose of it is to confirm the identity, if you like, of the church and how it, the church at Ephesus, but how we are to behave. That's what this letter is for. And Paul begins it with these six verses, and in these six verses are five truths from God. And they're all found in the first six verses. The, the first one is that he blessed us. The second one is that he chose us. The third one is that he predestined us. The fourth one is he adopted us. And the fifth one is he accepted us. But if we're to go ahead and answer the first question that I posed or the first idea that we thought of, when do we think that God sorted out the meaning and the idea of church? Was it at Acts? Was it at the Passover? Well, the answer is in verse 4, as we've just read. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Isn't that incredible? That before the very foundation of the world, God had in mind you and I. And you and I, when we are together, are the church. We are the body of Christ. And this all happened before the foundation of the world. Just that in itself, I think, is, is quite hard for us as flawed as we are as human beings, although you're all more wonderful than I. But the reality is, it's hard to comprehend, isn't it, that before the foundation of the world, God had already put this in mind and in motion. That God had you, God had me, his church, in mind before the earth was formed. But with that comes immeasurable blessing. As I've mentioned, that's the first one of the six. And we're not going to go through all six, I'm just showing us how we are blessed. When you realise what has happened here and what God has done for us through salvation's plan, you can realise how blessed we are. Because I could ask you the question this morning, and there are so many other religions and isms that say, if we do this, this and this, we will achieve salvation. We'll achieve a relationship with God. Listen, how many of us were there before the earth was formed? Sorry, there's no hands. Nobody? Well, none of us. Yet God had in mind you and me. God had in mind the church. So well before the foundation of the world, he had in mind you. So I ask the question again for us, and it's rhetorical, you don't need to answer... But in reality, when we say, what effect do I have on anything regards me or my salvation? Well, the answer is God had you in mind before the foundation of the world. 
The Bible tells us, John 3, 16, I quote it so often, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And it's the whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That God has said, here is my salvation plan. I had it in mind before the foundation of the world, knowing all of what was to come. He set about a salvation plan that you and I then might come into a relationship with a loving God. Listen, Paul says just later on uh, over the page in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. And this is the effect that we have is zero. Listen, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Who's this from? This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that anyone can boast. God has said, I thought about you before the foundation of the world. And I knew that you would need a saviour. And I knew that you weren't going to be able to complete the law. It was impossible. All that did was point to the fact that we needed a saviour. And he said, I will send my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take your place on the cross. So that I then, as I put my faith and my trust in him, him who was perfect, him who has defeated sin and death, that I then can come back into a relationship with God. That I am saved, I have been redeemed. The Bible shows us that we have been set free from the chains of sin and shame. That I can be, and I now am, if um, you're the same, if you've accepted Christ as Saviour, a child of God. And that's staggering. Before the foundation of the world, your name was uttered. Before the foundation of the world, God had in mind you. And the question that all of that brings about is why? And it's in the title. The title was love. God has so much love, he wants to show it. And to show it, he made us. And so then that we can understand and appreciate this love, this is how we know what love is. The Bible says Christ died for us. Now we know we've experienced what God set about in the very beginning as the church was thought about, as you and I were thought about, that we could be part of this wonderful body that enables the spreading of the gospel, that enables us to share and to love those around about us, as Christ is our example, amen? That we're able to love people, we're able to share with people. We can see then, by what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, that our salvation can't be earned or achieved, but rather it's through God's foreknowledge and that his son has done what needed to be done, that we then are able to be called children of God. And in amongst the five things that God has done for us, I've already pointed out that he blessed us, he chose us, he predestined us, he adopted us and he accepted us. There's one that really stands out to me, is that he adopted us. And I just said the words that we are children of God. And again, Paul says that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. And we'll get to that verse because that is what God has done for us. And this one for me really brings it home what God has done. 
because of the reality, if you like, of the gravity of what's been done, that God has enabled you and I to be called children of God by this adoption. And we have to understand, again, as we've pointed out on Wednesday and Kev pointed out again this morning in Bible study, that knowing the who, the what, the where and the when enables us to break down Scripture so that we can understand what's just being said. Instead of just reading over words that God has adopted us as sons and daughters, that we can actually see what's going off. The Greek translation for this word is place of a son. So the adoption word that we see, that we know and understand, is place of a son. And Paul, as a Roman citizen, would know the true value of this adoption. He would know and understand the value of this within the society that Paul was operating, that he would know the benefits that arise from adoption in Roman culture and history, which you can go and look for yourself outside of the word. Adoption became really prominent in Roman culture due to the need of passing on wealth and title. The Romans were able, because they controlled the world at one stage, they were able to accumulate incredible wealth individually. And they, were, they were, uh, would accumulate titles. And all of these things needed to be passed on. And because of the culture, if you didn't have a son, you were unable to pass on this. So it died with you. And that was it. So what the Romans decided is that you could adopt a son into your household, and often teenagers, young men were adopted, because then they could maintain the family line moving forward. And when they're adopted, they're in place of a son, that they are the son, as, as much as that, they are completely and utterly a son then of the person that's adopted them, which means they receive their wealth, and their title and therefore the name continues on so when we think about that there, there are other benefits that came with it not just the wealth and the title but to be a Roman citizen meant that you didn't pay income tax I know can you imagine it meant that you didn't pay income tax because you were a Roman citizen the tax was not necessary. The slate, if you like, was wiped clean. Now you imagine that for somebody outside of being born a Roman is accepted into the family as a son, receives the heir and the title and the name of the person that has adopted him, but not only that, he never has to pay income tax again. That is a good day, eh? That is a good day. But when we then compare this, as we understand what Scripture is now saying, and it's full weight to what Paul is saying in verse 5, it says, in love, let's just go back to it so that I can actually see what I'm reading, in love he predestined us for adoption to worship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God loves us. We know as we read 1 John, God is love. 
agape, unconditional love. It doesn't depend on you. He loves you. As we've talked about this before in relationships, that often the reality is, and we're not talking about children, we're talking about relationships. I'll love you if you love me. But if you don't love me, I'll find it hard to love you. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an unconditional love. That in spite of you and your failures and your flaws, in spite of me and my failures and failures and flaws, God loves me and he loves you. That's an unconditional agape love, okay? So then, as we realise because of this love that God has got for us, that he's adopted us as his own through the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are able to come into a relationship with a loving God, but more than just a relationship, we are sons and daughters, we are children of God. Isn't that staggering? That we are children of God because of his love for us. He's made a way for each and every one of us as we accept Christ as our saviour to receive all the rights, all of the, the good stuff that comes with being a child of God. And when we receive that, we accept Christ as saviour, that means... Yes, I can come into a relationship with God. Yes, I have an open line of communication with God. Yes, I receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of my salvation, guaranteeing that deposit that guarantees that one day I will see my Saviour face to face. That means this will fail, but the bit that makes me, me, will be in glory with him. These are all the things that we've received. But not only that, you see, because there's a tax, isn't there? The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter uh, 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But listen, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. My tax is that I, outside of Christ, are on my way to a Christless eternity. But because I've accepted Christ as my saviour, because of God's love for me, I have now received this reality that I am now a child of God because of Jesus, not because of me, because of him. The tax that was due on my life, this as hey, will fail. But now I come into a relationship with him and know that I will be with my saviour forever. The tax has been dealt with. It's been paid. It's finished. Jesus has paid that tax. Jesus has paid the debt that I owe. Jesus has dealt with it so that I can be adopted as a son. You can be adopted as a son or a daughter. Not just on the fringes, but completely and utterly with all the rights that come with being a child of God. And I asked the question to us this morning, what have you done about that? And the answer is nothing. There is nothing that we can do. It is all but because of what Christ has done for us. Salvation's plan completely and utterly in motion from the very beginning of time because of God's love for us. And listen, 1 John 3 and verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 
That we should be called children of God and that is what we are. What would you withhold from your child? Nothing. You would give them everything, wouldn't you? As a good parent, often we hold back the things that we know are going to bring them harm. Just because they like sweets doesn't mean that we should give them sweets all the time. Why? Well, because it's not good for their health. So there are things that we do. We also discipline our children. Why? Well, because we don't want them to end up in the judicial system and end up in the back of Joel's police car and then prison. So we discipline our children. We say this is right. We say this is wrong. And then when the time comes, the reality of life sometimes makes us feel a bit sad. But when the time comes, everything that I have is passed on to them. We hold nothing back. We give it them. Now, this is just relationships between you and me. Imagine how much more with God. How much more with God. God disciplines those he loves. God teaches those he loves. God shares with those he loves. God enables us through the power of the Holy Spirit to search the scriptures, to know the word. God draws us close to him so that we can pray and we can worship and we can spend time with our loving Heavenly Father. So then that we, as these people that deserve nothing, have received the full sonship and daughtership of being children of God. He has blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us. He adopted us. And he accepted us. How? Why? It's only because of love. There is no other conclusion. It is only because of love. And my question or my challenge to us is how do we respond to this? You know, because of God's love for us, how do we respond? Do we respond with an air of entitlement? I have what I have because God has given it to me. Mm, by no means. But rather we respond to it with a heart full of joy and gratefulness and thankfulness that God would do this for people like you and me. Oh, what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that church is what we are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning once again for your word. Father, for its blessing. Father, for the realities that we are yours as we've accepted Christ as Saviour. That one day we will be in glory with you. We'll see our Saviour face to face. Father, these are things that money cannot buy. These are things that being good, Father, doing as you uh, have laid out for us in a way where we could achieve it is completely impossible. But Father, it is all because of grace, not by works so that anyone could boast. But it is a free gift of God. And we just thank you this morning that you loved us enough to give your very best in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just ask, Father, that you would help us in the days ahead to give our all to you in worship and thanksgiving, Father, we would give our all to you in service. Father, we would hold nothing, nothing back of our time, our treasure and our talent, but Lord, that we would live for you and we would be ever grateful for all that you've done for us. We ask these prayers in Jesus' precious name. Amen.